three. We are now live. What's up, Pastor Scott? It's that time. In the well, history. actually, it's not that time. It's kind of pre-time. Well, yeah, I was like, hey, can we do a little bit early? And here we are, like 13 minutes early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the first time in the history of this show that we've been on before, too. Really? Well, we have been, yeah, first time we've been on before, too. I don't, actually, maybe we've been on at noon. I don't know. We'll have to have some time statistician to check that my, for us. One time I was, yeah, hey, producer, can you look up the stats on that? Um, <laughs> don't they do that on talk shows all the time? Oh, yeah. 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 One time I listened to, listened to, one time I was on the show early when my son was in the hospital. Uh-huh. And I said, hey, man, can we meet at noon so I can go up and see my son? Yep. So my wife just gave him baby food for the first time today. Not baby food. Like cereal. Solid food. Yeah, whatever. What was it? Cheerios? No, no, no. no. It's like rice cereal or something like that. <laughs> rice cereal. But Some close. substance. Yeah. So maybe. He probably sleep 12 hours now. Bro, he slept 12 hours last night. So he'll, he'll sleep like 48 hours or something with rice cereal. Well, I mean, I'd like for him to be awake at some points in my life, yeah. but it's been amazing. Anyway, welcome, guys. Welcome. Uh, me and Pastor Scott will decide to now engage you and stop just talking to each other. Yeah. Be, bienvenido. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're far away from each other. I don't feel that, that uh, distant. Yeah, okay. Maybe right. it's this table we turn it up. So drink. Hey, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I, can you define good? Um, relaxing. Yeah, it was, it was good. Good food? Yeah, it was good food. Well, Time with most, mostly good. My mother, which we visited family members in North Carolina, so normally there's a few things she um, adds to the collection there yeah. that weren't there this time, yeah. like a coconut cake. And so, a little bit of disappointment there, but overall, good food. So, did like the question is, coconut cake is fine in and of itself, but did it replace something good like pumpkin pie? Uh, no, there was a pumpkin pie added to it, just but but um, on Saturday, not on Thursday. Oh, okay. So it was, you know. Have you ever you ever seen the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond? Probably at least once or twice. There's a, there's a episode where they want to do a tofu turkey. Oh, it's super. It's a super funny. Tofu scene. turkey. That would be go. awesome. No, no, that's what's. So well, my daughter ate it. tofu over Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, vegetarians. Yeah, at a Japanese restaurant, hibachi's tofu. There you go. <laughs> that's disgusting, isn't it? I have never had tofu. Okay, well, I eat, trust me. I, I eat turkey, so I had a good Thanksgiving too. Thanks for asking. Yeah, well, <laughs> how was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> it was good, but I know you don't care. Did you go to Michigan? Nope, I stayed right here. Right in the Buckeye State. That's right. Do you have any ice cream? Heck yeah, man. With my apple pie. Apple pie? There, here's the question for those of you on Facebook. What is more American than apple pie? Hot, like a la mode. Hot with ice cream on top. At I'm not asking you to at answer. At Thanksgiving? I'm asking them to answer. At Thanksgiving or no, any, no, no, in general? No, just anytime in general. Hmm. That There's not many things more American. So try to find something, but I think it's great. Yeah. Do you have Skyline over Thanksgiving by any chance? No, absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. Just Skyline curious. is not, like, I'll go to it because on staff, it's the only way I'm going to get my lunch paid for, <laughs> but um, it's, it's not usually one of my top choices. <laughs> it's not, Skyline's not top five? Yeah, I may or may not be without a job by the time this <laughs> podcast wraps up, but uh-huh. that is okay. Well, um, if you're on Facebook, once again, thanks for being here. Drop in the comments, what's more American than apple pie with ice cream on top? And, uh... We will engage with him, maybe. I don't maybe. have a way to, Jamie will let us know, our producer. We have questions. We don't have like A, B, C, D, multiple choice. They no, no, have to come just, up with Yeah, just come up with it. Okay. So, and then um, also, like housekeeping stuff. I hate housekeeping stuff in podcasts, so I'll make it fast. Share, all right? 
five star review on online podcast. <laughs> share the share this uh, video so it gets the word out. But we're gonna dive in Revelation chapter three. Chapter three. Um, this is the last letter. Last letter. So basically, it's the last understandable thing in the entire book of Revelation. <laughs> Without a little bit of work, right? That's right. That's right. So. Why is that? Can you explain, like, give us a quick... Uh, <laughs> a quick explanation no, 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 no. of the mysteries of Revelation. No, no, but why Why the rest of the book of Revelation has a little harder... That's a little harder to decipher. Well, we'd say it's prophetic, obviously, and, uh, and, and so there's a lot of imagery. Yeah. There's a lot of future elements, well, for most people thinking about it. And so there's folks that think that, you know, kind of talk about the present and... and and the past and in the future kind of elements of it. So so when it was written, everything was future from that moment in time. Yeah, and other than some parts looking back on Israel's history now probably. Now presently, is there anything in Revelation that has happened that, like, so we're sort of in, in between? Is there well, that? that would be part of the interpretation, wouldn't it? Some probably think so. Okay. So I, I think there are probably elements of it that at least as far as uh, kind of the age of, of some of this. Yeah. We know we're in the end times because, you know, because the Apostle Paul said that. Yeah. And so... So there's some type of element, or I guess, their interpretation of where that really falls hard and fast. Yeah, and uh, so it's apocalyptic literature. So it's a Apoc certain type wow, of language. Wow, can you say that again? Apocalyptic literature. Wow. Where, where, how do you spell that? Um, don't ask me to spell it. Where, <laughs> that's a great word, by the where way. Where else? So Revelation is a, a uh, example of apocalyptic uh, literature. Where else can we find it in Scripture? What are we looking for again? Huh? What other? What are we looking for again? What type of literature? Oh, apocalyptic. Man, that's so awesome. I love hearing that word. You do a good job <laughs> saying it, too. Da Daniel, probably. Yeah, the back half of Daniel. Yeah, back half of Daniel. Uh, there's some in Ezekiel, probably. Okay. So, so that's did, I, did I, get, did I get it right? I think so. I don't know. I'm asking you. It's solid. <laughs> so I think, um, I think I know at least in the book of Daniel, what's really cool is it's apocalyptic and it's future mm -hmm. in that moment, but now it's past. So you can actually go back and compare history with, if you can dig out the interpretation again, because yep. you have to, like there's no way any of us have just by reading it, we can understand what it means. Yeah. We have to dive into some scholarly stuff. Some but, resources, right? Yeah, for sure. So anyway, but that's, uh, at my old church, our pastor did a whole series on Daniel, and that back half was actually super fascinating because he would explain the reasoning, and then he would tell, like, the historical, like, fulfillment of it, basically. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Kind of dual meaning there, right, of what was going on at the time and in, in the future since. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, that's, that's always what makes Revelation so challenging. I also know... Like in high school, it's like, hey guys, what do you want to study? Revelation, right? That's always the answer. And so it's, for some reason, super enticing, probably just because of like the future and the unknown, all that stuff. But the, the seven letters, one thing that's cool about them is they're transferable, obviously, to the churches they're written to, but we can pull principles out of them and apply them to our day. And so um, we talked about the church at, I forget the name already. Where, what church are we? What type of literature is this again? Apocalyptic literature. <laughs> that would be Laodicea. Laodicea. I was going to say Sardis. I'm glad I didn't say that. That would have been dumb. No, I hey, question about that. Revelation. Is it all people that say that, like the youth, or, or male more than female? <laughs> um, I'm just thinking probably more young guys yeah. and young ladies. Are yeah, saying, like, I can't wait to break into Revelation. So I did a, I did a morning Bible study with like a handful of students at my old church, uh -huh. and I'd always say, like, all right, guys, what book do you guys want to be going through? And they always said Revelation, and I always said no because <laughs> I just knew how much work it was going to be yep. on my part. And uh, then finally I caved in, and I did it. And one of the other students had a study Bible, so I just was like, hey, let me read your study Bible. Let's just read the notes in there. 
That well, could be different interpretations. Well, the footnotes in Revelation were, took up more of the page than the actual text. I'm sure they did. So, anyway, I digress. Let's talk about Laodicea. Um, there's a very common, uh, couple actually common passages that we see in here. Um, and the, the one is, I spew you out of my mouth, talking about lukewarm. And Pastor Chris debunked, at least in my mind, a little bit of a myth on who that was written to. Can you elaborate? Yeah, I, th- I think um, Pastor Chris, you know, having it's sat wrong. through. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, Pastor Chris is wrong. <laughs> he, he did a lot of reading on it. But, you know, I think there's a sense that his, his view, and probably a lot of other people, whereas a lukewarm Christian... Lukewarm Christians, essentially. Christians who are kind of backslidden or who are not really walking faithfully. And so um, I think Chris debunked that, saying these were more than likely unbelievers. Religious unbelievers. So there's a difference of being unbelievers who are secular. Um, These were sacred somewhat unbelievers, I guess I would say. Yeah. So um, if you're like, if you're lukewarm, it, I guess, actually, here's my question. Is it possible to be a true disciple and be lukewarm? Well, I think um, I think, I think there, there's clearly evidence of encouraging people who have fallen away to come back. Um, I think probably in large, you can't stay in that state forever. But, I mean, obviously, we can go through phases, right, where yeah. we don't want to be walking. But as, as a people here, you know, in this in this context here, it seems like this is kind of a, a category, you know, when you go to your waterfall, so there's hot and cold. There's not a lukewarm dial, is there? Yeah. And so it's it's there's an there's an essence that they're neither of these. Okay. Um, you know, and and so, or at least in Jesus' perspective, it'd be better to be one of these. You go looking for hot water, cold water. Right. Um, you know, I was thinking about that even uh, working on discussion questions. That you know, there's really no lukewarm dial there, but there's there are times I like lukewarm water for certain things. But in this context, you know, look, if you're hot. People know you are, right? Right. If you're cold, they know you are. But it's this it's this religious, um, and, and having grown up in the South, this religious, uh, what we call Bible Belt kind of view of things, where you've been in the church and a part of uh, the faith, and it's cultural, but it's not transformational. Hmm. And so we, I've, I've seen that a lot. I mean, in the South, and, and I think there's an element of that here. There are very few people, at least prior to the time I left, that weren't involved in church to some degree. So, I mean, to, to tell somebody they're an unbeliever just that hasn't, you know, come through the door of a church in 30 years <laughs> and because they made a decision in VBS or something like that, not that those can't be genuine, you know, right. but, and sincere, there's just a lot of this view that because I, I made this decision, um, my faith is in a decision, not in, in the deeds, which is part of this whole, you know, all these letters. It always goes back to evaluating deeds, right? Yeah. So... What is what is dangerous about us, or is it dangerous about us evaluating other people? Because I feel like that is where it gets a little sticky. Yeah, is where we're like, well, that person uh, is just a lukewarm Christian, or that person's not actually saved, or that person didn't have a genuine conversion, like. Is it our job as believers to look at them and place evaluation? How do we do that? How do we be careful? Should we be careful? Should like, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, th- I think there are a couple ways to think about it. Um, one, we can't, we can't look inside a person's heart to see whether or not Christ lives there, right? Right. First of all, I mean, you know, 
It's a metaphysical reality that God has come and dwelling in through His Holy Spirit in us, right? Yeah. So we can't see whether a person is a believer or unbeliever. So there's no way for us to tell only God knows that because God sees the heart. Right. Um, however, that's where we get hung up. People are all, I think, often trying to evaluate and, and put some type of metric or way of deciding who a believer is from unbeliever. Jesus never told us to do that as a believer. Hmm. He did tell us to judge their works, though. Right. So as a church, a collective. What's the tr- difference in that in your mind? Well, because because <laughs> let's let's go back to this. Um, suffering is supposed to mark the body. Um, I thought about this a lot. I don't know about two weeks ago. In, in 1 Corinthians twelve, where it's all you know, that's the context for the Lord's Supper. One of the primary passages we use for Lord's Supper. It's the body that's been broken. Okay, so you got all these individual pieces, and, and when we take Lord's Supper, it, it's essentially a body that's been divided apart. When you come back to Lord's Supper, what God is actually doing is saying He's taken all these broken pieces and put them together in a body. And so, in First Corinthians twelve, Paul talks about that when one member of the body is broken or suffering, all parts should be affected by that. Now, the the flip side of that is, when one member of the body is like leaven in sin. Okay, sin that, that God's already said this, that this is not fitting for a believer, then it's the responsibility of the church to remove that leaven so it doesn't leaven the whole lump. So there's a sense where sin affects the whole body just the way suffering should. One in a positive sense, one in a negative sense, that when you're hurting, that one member of the body is really broken or struggling, the rest of the body should come around that and compensate for that. And when one member of the body is hurting the rest of the body from sin, or, or, you know, immorality or idolatry, like we said, in really in grievous ways, then we're supposed to remove that part. So, so I think we, we get down to trying to evaluate who's a believer from unbeliever instead of just doing specifically what Jesus said. Going back to what we say often, we, we lean on our own understanding instead of just doing being faithful to what Jesus said. The goal to remove people is that if they're believers, they, they want to be a part of I mean, you can't be a body member part disconnected from the body very long without dying, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I cut off my foot and I put it in the corner of there, it's not going to stay alive very long unless it's preserved somehow. Um, but even then, until it's connected to the life source of the body, so that's that's you know in essence. So, so keep that thought. If mm-hmm. you're on Facebook, give us a quick share. Um, if you cut your foot off and stick it in the corner, there's a sense of urgency there. There's a sense of urgency there. Yeah. Why do you think we don't have that same sense of urgency when? And if we feel disconnected from the body of Christ, I think I think a lot of it goes back to not doing some of the things that Jesus says. We get hung up on whether this person's a believer or unbeliever, like we said, as opposed to just following the Scripture faithfully about evaluating fruit. Such a okay, so evaluating. Okay, so like in First Corinthians t- chapter uh, four, I believe it is, or five, maybe. So I think it's five. Um, you've got a guy who you got a father and son, and and somehow there's some sexual immorality there. Yeah. And Paul says, look. What's happening in the church is horrible, and this is worse than what's going on in the world there. You guys have to remove this person. You can't associate as the church with this person. And, and Paul's clearly wanting that person to repent and come back, which in Revelation, that's a, a clear theme of repentance and returning, right? Yeah. And so I don't think, I, I think to some degree, we haven't taken some of the things that Jesus said seriously about his body. And so we don't value membership probably the way we should. Uh, which means we don't value uh, discipline the way we should, and at the same time care for the members that are hurting. Because yes. because membership should mean not just putting people out who are who are causing problems. It's also caring for those who are struggling. Then what? So I one practical thing that I see in this, like the way you're explaining it, and like someone who has sin or someone who's hurting is 
in church our size, it's easy to attend and no one have any idea either A, that you're participating in sin, or B, that you're suffering. Yeah. So either your two yeah. options. Are they two options. Well, like, what's what do we do about that? Is well, there a solution to that? Well, I mean, have I... Have we thought through that? We've, we've thought through. I think we're still... <laughs> obviously, we're always tweaking and thinking through things, but we, we've clearly said, and people see it around here, that anonymity is the enemy of discipleship. And that's not just a good bumper sticker um, or oh, a T-shirt, a right? It could make one. Ooh, but we the, should make T-shirts. Write that down. So, 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 you know, in my view, let me take it to a, the extreme of counseling. If anonymity is the enemy of discipleship, I believe our goal is, as a church is to make disciples, which means counseling is a subset of that. Helping people in the problems of life be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so counseling, like discipleship, often is disconnected from other people being involved. In, and so people come out of isolation to connect for a little while to work on something, and they go back into isolation. And so the struggle is, look, I can't help you if I don't know what's going on, and at the same time, people are fearful of being judged. Like we said, is there a right, wrong way of doing that? Yeah, there's a wrong way of doing it. Yeah. Um, where we are condemning people as opposed to trying to help free people. Right. So one is, you know, love means I'm trying to help my neighbor. Um, the opposite of that means I'm trying to hurt my neighbor. Right. And so both those suffering and sin can hurt people. So one observation I have, as you say that, as I'm thinking, is. Um, I guess I guess maybe two it's twofold in one way. So, number one, the person who is going to bring a problem to another individual, the person who's bringing the problem has to identify that person as a safe person. Yes. Right. Yep. Oftentimes they don't think that is the case, and so that may be why they hide it, perceived or accurate. Yeah, sure. Right. Or past experiences. Yep. Yep. Either their own or what they've seen of that other person. Or even heard on TV. Yep. <laughs> And then, but there's also, I think, a responsibility on the person who's going to get that problem presented to them. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think you can be sitting there listening or watching and thinking about yourself in either position. Like, A, if I'm going to bring a problem, how do I know a person is safe? But B, how do I be a safe person, I yep. guess, is really kind of, and that's, that's what it all comes down to. And the only way, I think, not the only way, but one of the ways um, to know if a person is safe is you have to spend time with them. You like you're probably time. not going to confess something super deep to someone that you uh, are sitting behind for the first time on a Sunday morning. And I would say it's. I would say I would take a bigger word than safe, and I would say is is this a loving person? Okay. Because safety doesn't mean necessarily going to do what the Bible says. It can mean there's somebody I can talk to. Right. But loving means that I have their interest, their, their God's interest for them in mind as well. Yeah. So I could be safe, but not biblically loving. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Uh, and so, so that's certainly a, a, a part of it, a component of it. But knowing that somebody has God's view in mind as far as what he's striving for for me, and knowing they have that for me, I need them, they need me. Yeah. And so loving, my, the unloving thing might not be to share that with somebody because sometimes I'm more afraid what other people think. And the loving thing might be to... Con- so there's all kinds of ways this to go off the rail, right? Right. I mean, which we see it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that distinction. Um, I didn't think about that. But I, I would, I guess the, yeah, so sometimes loving is doing something that you don't want to be done. Well, this passage here is, is a prime example, which yeah. I hadn't thought about it, at least not in our context of our conversation. Yeah. But he says, he says, look, uh, somewhere on here he says, let me see, because he uses the words, he says, um, 
Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Yeah. Okay. So somebody that's looking for safety may not see that as loving. Right. But if somebody is biblically looking what safety is, because the Lord's supposed to be our refuge, right? Yeah. And the Lord does do these things. So, so the fact that, look, Jesus says, I love you, but because I love you, I'm going to reprove you and discipline you. Not for your, not to punish you, to disciple you. Discipline is part of discipleship. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you share something and someone mishandles that information, like that's, that's previously what I would have classified as unsafe, but I would also say, that that could be unloving too. Yeah, it right? is. Yeah, and so, you know that, that like the distinction like you made is good, um, and I think you can even like carry that that sure. out even further and just say like, just because you're gonna, I don't want us to get twisted and think like, well, I'm just gonna be loving and share this. Yep. As gossip. Yep. Because that's not actually loving. Like no. you have to be very discerning and know what the right thing to do is. Yeah, the circle of awareness, the circle of conversation needs to be really between two people. Yeah. Unless it needs to be enlarged according to what Scripture says to yeah. help that person. Yeah. And so that's where we fall, you know, where we're like, okay, I would bring three or four or whatever. But the Bible says, look, if you see your brother in sin, go to them in private. Yeah. Okay. The only time you need to bring other people in there is if, if repentance and if there's not a restoration that's been there. Yeah. And so that that's part of the, you know, and that gets complicated. There are lots of different contexts that that's really yeah. got to, you have to contextualize that. Yeah. Um, but but you, that would be surely starting with the principle doing that start with until you don't know what to do and I would say most of the cases that would be enough for a lot of people to not to gossip yeah because that's there's enough there that when people respond right you don't have to go tell other people yeah that's good all right man anything else or we're gonna get out of here well you know um I've I've been thinking about something Nick (laughs) weighing heavy on your heart weighing heavy on my can you bring me some chapstick oh uh See you guys.